The title of this sermon is Don't Give Up. Don't Give Up. I'm calling this sermon on what the whole book of Revelation, what I want you to remember is because this, this really, I think, is the aim of this last book of the Bible, is to call Christians, don't give up. Uh, one of the greatest examples of someone who would not give up is a man named Louis Zamperini. Uh, maybe you're familiar with his story. He was that uh, U.S. soldier in World War II. His story is recorded in the book Unbroken. One of the many things um, that he faced where he refused to give up was when his plane crashed into the Pacific Ocean. And he and, and two other soldiers had to had to basically float in the ocean in, in a raft for dozens of days. The sun was beating down on them. Um, they, they had to come up with ways to catch birds out of the sky to, to eat or to, to find fish to eat. They were fighting off sharks, and, and they did this for 47 days. It's an amazing story. And I, I, I realized just revisiting it how quickly I would have given up. I mean, how is it that someone doesn't give up in that kind of situation? Well, what we're told is one of the reasons why he never gave up was Louis was always looking out. He was always looking out for his fellow soldiers who he was convinced would come and rescue him. Well, the book of Revelation has told us that the devil himself has his sights set especially on Christians. And that he's using all of his considerable power to pressure us we were told with, with governments that are meant to rival God in, in the lives of people. Uh, he, he's persuading us with philosophies that tempt us to deny God. The devil is setting his sights and tempting us with pleasures that make so many people forget about God altogether. And this, this last encouragement that I want to give to you from the book of Revelation is, is this. When you want to give up, you got to look out. When you want to give up, you got to look out. Louis was rescued. Eventually. Um, after those 47 days of floating in the ocean, he was not rescued. He was captured. Enemy forces came and, and, and brought terrible suffering in a prisoner of war camp. And he really was struggling to keep looking out for a rescuer. 
The book of Revelation, I want you to remember, beloved, is for times like that. It's, on one hand, you could say it, it, it speaks to those who have already given up. I mean those who, who do not hope in Christ. Who are already in the hands of the enemy. And Revelation, hasn't it told us over and over again that for them, when Jesus comes back, it will not be to rescue them from suffering. It will be to give them suffering that they've never known. But Revelation has is also here and it's such a great gift for us to help believers to not give up. But to keep on looking out for our rescuer. You see, in the book of Revelation, this is what I want you to see this, this morning. It, it is it is looking out for Christ that is the way that God gives to us to, to, to not give up. And so I want to take one more look at the three times in the book of Revelation where Jesus has personally come into the book. And we're going to look at him. So, point number one. To all those who would be tempted to give up Look out for the all-sufficient Son. Look out for the all-sufficient Son. We'll see that in chapters 1 through 3. I wonder if you've ever heard uh, the story of a man named R.U. Darby. Uh, in, In the late 1800s, he went to Colorado to find gold. And he searched and he searched and he found very little. And so he gave up. And he sold all of his equipment to some random guy. Well, that random guy decided to use that equipment and to find where Darby had left off. And he hit the mother load <laughs> three feet from where Darby gave up. And so some people refer to this as three feet from gold. That's the story. And it's a powerful story. It, it, it inspires us that, you know, winners never quit. Winners never give up. And you know what that story can can teach us as Christians? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing. Look, I, I mean, go to that story. I, I get it. It may encourage you if you're trying to earn a spot on some sports team. Uh, three feet from goal will, will, will be a helpful story to you if, if you want to work really hard to get that job or that scholarship or, you know, to keep going with physical therapy or whatever and, but it, it will not help you one bit as a Christian. And, and you've got to hear me on this. Revelation says, Absolutely nothing 
to go-getters. Revelation has nothing for resilient people. Revelation has nothing for winners. Darby's story and American can-do-it-ness will make you immune to Christianity. Christianity is all about the all-sufficient Son of God. Revelation tells us who the winner is. And it's not you, and it's not me, and it ain't anyone else in all the world. It is Jesus Christ. And Revelation, if it tells you anything, if you remember anything, you need to remember this. Don't give up on placing every ounce of your hope only away from you and in Jesus Christ. I want you to look at the very first words of the book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole book is about. Right out the gate, Revelation is showing to uh, suffering believers, powerless believers. That is who the book is written to. It's not to all the people who are just cheering each other on constantly. We're, we're going to never face anything difficult. It is not to them. It is to the powerless. And it is a message. Look out for the one who is all sufficient because you can't do this. That's why just a few verses later in, in verse Five, uh, this letter is from, it says in verse five, Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is the ruler of the kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us a kingdom to him be glory forever and ever. And then if you look in verse nine. What we have is the first appearing, the first time that the main figure in all of history actually appears on the page of Revelation. And what God's doing in these verses, in verses 9 through 20, is he's giving us just these different angles of his all-sufficient son. And what he's doing is he's trying to, he wants to see every aspect of him so that we can look out for all of him because we're going to face lots of time when we are losers and we're losing and we need to know who is the all-sufficient one, who it is we need whenever we know that we cannot do this Christianity thing anymore. Look look at part of what is revealed to us in chapter 1 and verse 14. This is Jesus. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Look at verse 15. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters now it's going to go on in verse 20 it says that this jesus is walking around what's called the lampstands if you remember that was a reference to the churches 
What, what, what it's saying is Jesus, this Jesus who we're seeing, the all-sufficient one, is walking around in his churches. Those who shine his light in this dark world. It's saying that he's with us. It also says that he sees what's going on. And so, if you recall in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus then turns to each one of these seven churches. And by doing so, he turns to every church, including ours. And I want you to see what he says to Thyatira. Look in chapter 2 and verse 18. Because what he does with each of these churches is he, get, he tells them to look out for him. Basically look out for a certain aspect of him. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. That's what we just read in chapter 1. And whose feet are like burnished bronze. What I'm saying is, the first time he appears, God gives all these different angles of what he's like. What Jesus is like. And then when he starts speaking to churches, he says, you need to remember something I just showed you about Jesus. That's the thing you're forgetting. In this case for Thyatira, his eyes are like a flame of fire. And his feet are burnished bronze. One way to give up on Jesus is to give in to sexual immorality. It's just one example. People who give up on Jesus, they may call themselves Christians, but if they give up to some sort of sexual practice that is apart from what he wills, they're giving up on faith in him and salvation in him. And that's what happened in Thyatira. Look in chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus says, I know your works. I know these good things about you. Your love, your faith, your service, how you're patiently enduring. But look in verse 20. But I have something against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. What he says is you're putting up with, notice it's false teaching. A kind of teaching that can creep into churches that ends up making people feel like they don't have to fight the sin of sexual immorality. And that's what's going on. This teaching is seducing people to, to sexual sin. But notice what Jesus says. In verse 22, he says, I'm going to throw her on a sickbed. And everyone who basically lives like her, I'm going to give great trouble. In verse 23, I'm going to strike them dead. Because I have the eyes of a flame of fire and I search, it says in verse 23, mind and heart. That's what the eyes are burning with fire to do, to reveal what's going on in our hearts and our lives. Beloved, listen, when you want to give up, You've got to look out, this is what he's saying, for the all-sufficient son. There's something, if you're giving up, it is there's something you're not thinking about with Jesus. There's some aspect of his character you're totally forgetting. And one thing that he says to the churches in, in Revelation is, my eyes see everything you're doing, and my feet of burnished bronze will crush everyone who does not, or who gives up. That's what he says. And so let me, let me say this to you. If giving in to the sins that this world accepts is a temptation for you, if you like it when preachers don't talk about your sin, 
And so you want to go to churches that make you feel good or whatever or listen to preaching that makes you smile and not face really how sinful you are. You need to look out specifically at the holy judgment of Jesus. And don't forget, Revelation is just filled with looks at that Jesus. God tells us that looking at Jesus is what we need whenever we're tempted to give up. And maybe for you, it's not a temptation to give yourself over to sin. Maybe for you, your temptation to give up on this Christianity thing will be because suffering comes to Christians. Just being faithful to Jesus and staying faithful to Jesus and not compromising like all these so-called Christians around us. Not compromising, but putting him first. And that brings suffering to you. Well, that was what some of the churches were facing. Like the church in Smyrna. Look back in chapter 2 and verse 8. To them, Jesus reminds him of his all-sufficiency and and a very specific aspect of his character in order to encourage them not to give up. He says in verse 8, these are the words of the first and the last, the one who died and who came to life. He says in verse 9, I know how much trouble you're facing. I know how poor you are physically. I know they're slandering you. I know that Satan's synagogue, there are a bunch of churches around you that are really devoted to Satan and not me. Verse 10, you're about to suffer, but don't be afraid of the suffering. Some of you will really go to prison. But then he says at the end of verse 10, be faithful unto death. That means die in your faithfulness. And then I will give you the crown of life. When he says, what I'm trying to remind you of is when he says, I'm the first and the last, the one who died and who is alive. And then he says, you go ahead and die and then I'll give you the crown of life. When he says those things, what he's doing is he's calling attention back to the first time that Jesus appears in the letter. It's back in chapter 1 in in verse 17. And he's making a really important point to us. Verse 17, when John saw Jesus In this appearance, he fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on John and said, fear not. And here's the language. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. In other words, whatever your temptation is to give up, there's something of the son and how he is what you need that you have to look at. For those who are suffering, you need to understand, even if you die, I did that, and I'm alive, and I've got the keys to make you alive as well. God gave every church in Revelation a very specific look at Jesus. And that's so important to remember, because when you're tempted to give up, Either you're tempted to give up something that we believe that the Bible teaches, or if you're tempted to give up a certain area of your obedience to Jesus, that's what it means to give up. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, if you stop believing what he says or stop obeying him as Lord, that that will mean giving up on him. What you need in that situation is the all-sufficient son. 
You need to look at him. And he will meet your needs. What I'm trying to say is, Jesus has nothing to offer you if you're an I can do it myself kind of person. He has nothing to offer you. He will be the one who meets every need. And our greatest need is to be saved from sin. And so the second time that Jesus appears in the book of Revelation is actually in chapter 5. And there I want to remind you, point number two, look out for the debt-paying lamb. Look out for the debt-paying lamb. Chapter 5. This invitation goes out. Look at it in verse 2. Who is worthy to open the scroll that is in the hands of God? What, what we find out as we went from chapter 6 on, what happens when that scroll is actually opened. <clears throat> what this question is asking is who is it in all the world who God can trust to open the scroll to save his tempted people, his targeted people. Who is it? When the scroll is open and all the world gets judged, who is, who is worthy for God to trust with judging everyone who will not bow down to him? Well, I want you just to remember in verse 3, when that invitation sounds throughout everywhere, there is no one who steps up. There's no Mr. Fix-It who lived his life fixing every single problem that no one else could fix. If I can't do it, who will do it? None of them step up. There's not a single proud woman who lived out all her days always denying that she was wrong about anything. Never confessing any kind of weakness or any kind of fault. Always defending herself. Not one of those women steps up. There's not a child in the world who in life was always first in line for every privilege and every reward. They won't step up to this. And so we see in verse 4, John giving up. You see it? He's weeping loudly. He's totally devastated because he wants that scroll open. He wants God's people saved and he wants God's enemies punished. And so he's tempted here to give up. But then notice in verse 5, one of the elders comes to the Apostle John and says, Weep no more. Behold, or look out, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. We hear that Jesus Christ is this conquering lion, but notice what it is we see whenever we actually get to look out for him. Look in verse 6. We're looking for a lion. But it says between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I see 
a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns with seven eyes. And then in verse seven, this lamb goes and he takes the scroll out of the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And I want you to just hear that they're, they're very careful to tell us why it is Jesus is the only one anywhere who is worthy of God's trust to save his people and judge his enemies. It says very clearly in verse 9, whenever they're singing to him, worthy are you to open the scroll and to, or to take the scroll and to open his seals. Why? Because you were slain. And by your blood, that's why, your blood, you ransomed the people for God. Listen to me. People give up on Jesus all the time. People give up on Jesus for different reasons. Some people give up on serving Jesus because serving Jesus, listen to me, you're going to hear hear me, um, it's going to cost you. If you serve Jesus, it's going to cost you. And some people will not pay the cost. They won't pay the cost of how it affects their relationships. Or how it takes away opportunities for them. And so, so many people give up by choosing the easy life. The broad path. And other people. Other people give up really by giving in. They give in to a life of sin. And they, 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 they want to make themselves the center of their life. They want to make pleasure and feeling good and having fun the center of their life. And so they give up. I mean, there's another way to give up. You can give up trusting that anyone is worthy to save you because your sins are too awful. You've just sinned too much. And you've hurt way too many. And you've ignored God for far too long. If you're in that situation, I want to tell you, looking in will make you want to give up. If you keep looking inside you, you're going to give up. Because here is the fact. You are guilty. You aren't good enough. You have trampled over God and his grace way too many times. And the hugeness of your guilt. The hugeness of my guilt. Doesn't change anything about the fact that the lion has conquered. That the lamb was slain. That he was slain in the place of sinners. And he's not slain anymore. He's standing. And when he stands up in this chapter, he walks right up to God. Right up to God. Right on up to that holy throne. And he just takes the scroll. And God does not object. God does not resist one bit. Listen to me and don't ever forget it. Looking in. Looking inward. Will make you want to give up. 
We're told to look out. To look out. Outside of us. Away from even our own guilt. Once we feel the guilt. We look out at the debt paying lamb. Listen to me. You may have come in here. And you're realizing right now. You don't think much about Jesus. And maybe he's even convicting you right now. There's a day when your pride won't get you anywhere except in hell. And that God would be right to send you there for all the ways you belittled him with your life. Listen to me. He will not look overlook any of your sins. He knows them better than you. But he's also accepted his son's blood as a ransom. Every single person who trusts in Jesus has their enormous sin debt paid in full. And we are free and you can be free right now from condemnation from God. You can be free right now from your guilt for all your sin. You can be free right now from any fear of paying the penalty for it in hell forever and ever. If you will give your trust to the lamb who was slain. encourage you to do it. Do it now. And if you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you about it. And yet you don't need to take, talk to a professional pastor about it. You can talk to lots of people around you. Any member of this church would love to talk to you about that. What it means to be freed by the debt-paying Lamb of God. I wonder if you all have ever heard the term um, uh, being in the weeds. You all familiar with this term, being in the weeds? I, I, I learned it in the restaurant world. I remember one day I was a new waiter and I had like seven tables. It was way too many for me. And there's this guy at one of the big tables I was supposed to be taking care of. And he started, you know, crying out, laughing at me. He's in the weeds. He's in the weeds. That's the first time I ever heard it. Was this guy making fun of me for being in the weeds? And I, it was good because I, I immediately knew what he was saying. Um, you know, I, I just was totally overwhelmed. The weeds had grown up all over me and I couldn't get out of them. I couldn't keep up with people's drinks or putting in their orders or whatever. I think he stopped laughing pretty quick because he was hungry for a while. Um, one day when I was waiting tables, um, I, I was, I had gotten better at it and I was ahead and, and there were others who were struggling and I, I delivered one guy's food to his table. I, I made sure all of the people at his table had, had drinks that were refilled and he looked at me and he said, good looking out. And I just, he was really cool. Uh, and I don't know if you, what you think about young Ryan, but he's like this old Ryan, which I wasn't cool. So when he said, hey, Good looking out. I was like, yeah, man, no problem. You know, I just kind of walked off thinking, what does that mean? What did, what did he just say to me? Good looking out. I was not the sharpest knife in the restaurant. But it, it took me a while, but I finally realized what it was he was saying to me. He was, and this is obvious to you. Um, he was saying, good job looking out for me. Uh, he knew he was in the weeds. 
And he couldn't look out for himself. The most faithful Christian you know gets tempted to give up. The most faithful Christian you know probably takes their own sin most seriously. They get, you know, if you want a sign that you're growing as a Christian, you get more and more upset at your how you hurt God so much. And you'll get upset about the smallest ways that you hurt God. When you want to give up, you've got to look out. But the problem is some days you're going to be in the weeds. Your sin is going to be way too much. Your suffering, maybe, and following and being obedient to Christ, maybe way too much, or, or continuing to obey Him, maybe way too hard. And you're going to need others to look out for you when you can't look out for yourself. Help remind you to look at Jesus again. And remember this thing, you're forgetting about Jesus, the all-sufficient Son of God. And Jesus, don't you remember, He's the debt-paying Lamb. We're all going to need good lookouts. You may come to a time where you're not struggling with the idea that He saves sinners, but you're struggling very much with the idea that He would save you as a sinner. And forgive your sins. Even John needed a good lookout, didn't he? And he's losing it there in verse 4. Giving up. And then an elder comes alongside and says in verse 5, Weep no more. Look out at the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lamb who is now standing though he was slain. I think this is one of the reasons why God saves his people into a people. What does it say in verse 9? Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you, Jesus, were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed not just individuals. <clears throat> you ransomed a people for God. Listen, when you want to give up, I didn't, I'm careful about how I word these things. I didn't say if you want to give up. You're going to come probably to a time where you're going to want to give up. And when you get there, I hope you have good lookouts. And I wonder if you will be a good lookout for others. Revelation moves from revealing Christ to struggling churches, to then revealing Christ the second time to sinful Christians, to then the, the third time that he appears in the book of Revelation, it reveals him as the evil ending groom. Revelation 19, the evil ending groom. Look out for the evil ending groom. Now I want you to see a few things on our way. Chapter 5 to chapter 19. Look at chapter 12. <clears throat> One of the main characters in Revelation is introduced there. In verse 17. The dragon is the devil. 
And I want you to understand in verse 17, the dragon, the devil, is making war on the offspring of the church, the woman. The dragon is, he doesn't care. He's not targeting a lot of people because he's already got you. He's attacking Christians, those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony. And he's a dragon, a seven-headed dragon, eyes all around. He's very powerful. He's very scary. And he's not alone. Because right there in chapter 13, verse 1, the dragon raises up what's called the beast. And we're told about this beast who we saw in this series is, is human governments, including ours. The beast, in verse 6, blasphemes God, blasphemes Christians who've already died in heaven. Verse 7, makes war on the saints to try to conquer them, to cause them to give up. He has authority over every tribe and people and language and including our nation, this nation. He's in the governments. Verse 8. And he's attacking everyone whose name is in the Lamb's book of life. He's after us. And he's not the only one the dragon's using. In verse 11, there's a second beast that, that the dragon raises out of the earth. And this one looks like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. Oof. All sweet and cuddly. And it'll burn you to the ground. In verse 13, he looks so powerful, he performs these great signs. What does he do? Verse 14, he uses his power to deceive the earth. To worship the beast. Anything other than Jesus. To worship the powers of government. To put your hope in the government. Verse 15. And he tries to get those who will not give up on Jesus to be killed. That's who we're up against. But then there's another one before we get to chapter 19. Chapter 17. There's another one that the dragon's using. It's the great prostitute you see in chapter 17. But I want you to look at her for a little bit. Verse 3. John sees this woman on the beast. Okay? And she's full of blasphemy. Verse 4. She's, she's clothed in purple and scarlet. She's beautiful. She's adorned with all these precious metals and jewels. She's attractive. But her sins reach to high heaven. And she leads people towards sexual immorality. She is the mother, verse 5, of all of the earth's sins. And verse 6, she's drunk with the blood of the saints. All she's after. This is the whole world. That's the woman. The world. And all of her temptations to destroy Christians. So I said, looking in will make you want to give up. But looking around will also make you want to give up. What I mean is the dragon is all around. He's taken over. And his attacks are absolutely relentless. 
I wonder if you've lived long enough to see people who were professing Jesus give up and go full on over to the dark side. Have you seen people live for themselves because they get tired of resisting their sinful desires? Or they're drawn away into some kooky belief that some so-called Christian teacher starts throwing out there. They totally leave the Bible and real Christianity, but they think they're still Christians. Or, or have you lived long enough to see a child get baptized? But then, once they leave the baptistry, every single place you look... They are the center of their world. They live for their name in the sports field. They live for themselves in school. They live for themselves and use people and their relationships. They pressure their parents to serve and worship them. There's just no sign at all that they love Jesus or live the way that he's called them to. What I mean is looking around will make you want to give up. Devil seems to be taking ground, not just in Russia or in China, but here. So we watch the Republican presidential candidate debates. And we're supposed to think that our hope should be in one of those. Look around. And what you'll see is danger everywhere. Wildfires, targeting homes, cancer, killing loved ones, school systems, social media, persuading our children that sex outside of marriage is safe and that boy and girl are categories that are not fixed. I mean, it sounds an awful lot like the devil is winning. Everywhere we look. That God is nowhere to be found. I mean, just look in his churches. How many preachers do we hear about who used to encourage us? Now they're walking away from the faith. Walking away from their families. Walking away from the truth. You can throw in singers and songwriters we like to follow too. You can look at whole churches that... Take the broad path because what they want most is full seats and easy living. Look around and you'll want to give up. And you'll doubt Jesus is returning. You doubt Jesus can win. And you'll doubt that his reward is worth waiting for any longer. Well, In that case, I want you to look out again at the last time we see Jesus in the book of Revelation. And it's in chapter 19. And we didn't do this in the beginning, so I want to do it now. I want us to stand, actually. Um, And I want us to read this last appearing of Jesus. If you're able to stand, stand with me. And let us look out at our Savior When we look all around and we're tempted to give up. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened 
And behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast. And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet, that was the second beast, who in the presence had, in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its name. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Beloved, look out for the evil ending groom. I call him a groom. Because right before this, we see him in verse six. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of multitude Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit prophecy. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. My voice is all out. But I just want to leave you with this. What are we going to say? What are we going to do? When we look in. And we want to give up. Or we look around. And we want to give up. Well, we remember the book of Revelation. And remember, if God is for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
Oh, Lord, we pray that you would make it true for each one here that they would not give up. That none of us would give in. But that we would keep looking out. Keep looking out for our Savior. That he might receive the praise and glory and attention that he deserves. And yes, that we might conquer. But never on our own. And only through him. We pray this in his name. Amen.